Some shows lean left, some lean right, but we lean local and business. This is North Georgia Business Radio X with Bo Henderson. For the next hour, we will celebrate the businesses in our area and the people that run them. Find us on Facebook at North Georgia Business Radio X and online at NorthGeorgiaBusinessRadioX.com. Now, here's Bo Henderson. One of the things I was thinking about as I was coming to the show today was money memories. And I thought it'd be a good question to start the show off with. What is our earliest money memory? I'm Bo Henderson here with Dr. Bill Lampton and Carl Libba. And I'm excited to introduce a guest that's going to talk about money, banking, and some things right here in our community. But before we get into that, Bill, I'll start with you. Do you have an early money memory? Yes, I remember one of the uh, the most surprising and appreciated raises that I, that I ever got as an employee. As a kid, I was working in a grocery store. And I think I got tears in my eyes when the manager came to me and said, Bill, you've been doing a real good job, and we're going to raise you from 35 cents an hour to 50 cents an hour. Whoa. I thought I'd hit the lottery. <laughs> that is, I'll take that percent increase any day. I would, too. Not bad. All right, Carl, what do you, you have one comes to mind? I do, I do. And actually, you know, for the listeners who don't know me, I was born and raised in South Africa and then lived in Central Africa for a while in a country called Zaire then. And when we first came to the States, I remember my dad going to the bank in Zaire and exchanging money, uh, the Zaire and Frank or whatever the currency was at the time. I was eight, I don't know, and getting American dollars. And I remember sitting in my room because he said, okay, you've got, you know, $20 to spend when we go to the States because we went to Dollywood because where else would you go when you came here? And I remember sitting there in my bedroom and the smell of the money still right now, I can remember what I was wearing and what the bedroom looked like because it created such a, you know, a neurologist would call it a limbic attachment to that experience of going, I'd never seen this president before. I'd never seen money that only came in one color because all of our money in both South Africa and Zaire came in different colors and different shapes and sizes. Um, So to see a rectangular green bill that you'd seen in the movies in person was my kind of first money memory. Very cool memory. That's so amazing how like a... Would you call it? a very emotional experience connects and attaches like that? Yeah, you remember yeah. the sights, the yeah. smells, limbic attachment. There you go. That's what that's called. Got that? That's our word for the day. Limbic attachment. Well, I want to I want to ask about a money mem- memory from our guest, but before we do that, Bill, why don't you introduce him? Yes, I'm delighted to introduce Mike Allen, director of real estate credit risk at Cadence Bank. Mike and I are not strangers to each other. In fact, um, we were talking a few minutes ago. When Mike was a very young rising banker in Macon, Georgia, I was vice president of Georgia College in Milledgeville, and Mike became a part of our young alumni group. So we met when Mike would come to those meetings, and once we found out he played golf, so he and I played the Milledgeville Country Club, I moved to Gainesville in 1988. And a year and a half later, I looked in the paper, and Mike Allen had come here to be with what was then First National Bank. He's had a sterling career in banking, no pun intended. (laughs) Uh, Mike has has, uh, become very distinguished as a prominent banker, and as we'll probably talk about a little bit, he's even been an instructor in the LSU School of Banking. Oh. Wow. Mike, well, glad to have you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Did you did something come to mind, Mike, when I said an early money memory? Oh, yeah, absolutely. As a child growing up in a rural part of middle Georgia, my first job was cutting grass for neighbors, and I found out quickly I liked the money. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of money I earned. That's nice. Yeah. So, see, hey, there's an exchange for this. Well, what, you know, I'm wondering, did you, as you're mowing grass, do you say, hey, I want to be a banker one day? Or how did that path come to be? What made that connection for you to go into banking? Well, no connection to mowing grass, but <laughs> I got into the banking business really almost by default, actually. Um, my first uh, job out of college, I'd done an internship in college with an agri products company. And I, um, had an opportunity as a newlywed, been married two months to move to Tampa, Florida with the same agri-products company. It didn't work out real well because literally four days, literally four days after I moved into, uh, and we moved into our apartment, uh, the regional president came down and announced they were closing that facility. Oh, wow. So it was a pretty, pretty bad experience for me, but, um, turned out to be great. We moved back to, uh, Macon after our short stand in Tampa and my father-in-law was in banking, uh, at the time. And, of course, coming off of that experience, I was looking for something with great stability. So he talked to me about banking, and that's how I got into it. You're listening to North Georgia Business Radio X. I'm Bo Henderson here with Dr. Bill Lanton and Carl Lib. Our guest is Mike Allen with Cadence Bank. And, Mike, I'm curious. So tell us a little bit about Cadence Bank and that name. It's a little bit different name. It is a different Can you hear me? Yep. It, yes, it, sorry, it is a different name. Um, if you look up the word Cadence in the dictionary, what you see is um, it has a the word always will be used the word rhythm, so it's like a drum beat, you know. And and what we like to think of that is that our bank and our employees and our uh, professionals are in sync or in rhythm with our customers and their businesses. Um, our company was formed in 2009 in Houston, Texas, and um, in 2019, Cadence bought a banking company I was with, State Bank at the time, here, and we had a location here in Gainesville. So by way of merger in 2019, I became a partner with Cadence Bank. Very good. Fascinating. So, um, Mike, for you, if somebody, you know, if you were talking to that young man who's about to move to Tampa and go, <laughs> hey, uh, I don't know that this is a great move and you're trying to sell him on the idea of banking, but make the year 2021, what would you say is the most surprising thing maybe people don't know about what it is you're doing day to day in the world of banking? Well, I think, um, I think most of the public, um, really views banks as a place where they deposit their money and they borrow money, sure. right? Take out loans. So pretty much banking one-on-one, but there are so many moving parts and disciplines in the business that happen behind the scenes to make that client facing experience good. Yeah. And could you, would there be a way to elaborate kind of even one thing in your day to day that maybe your clients and customers don't know, this is something we're doing to make your experience better? Well, as, as Bill mentioned in the introduction, my role is um, I'm in charge of all real estate risks for Georgia, essentially, um, commercial and home builder finance. And I have a great team of bankers and underwriters that are working with me and assess the risk profile of each and every opportunity we have to lend money to. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that, a lot of detail, a lot of number crunching. But at the end of the day, we really view our relationship uh, as a partnership with our clients because, mm. you know, we are their financial uh, advisor in some respects. And, you know, we don't want to make a bad decision that's going to put their business and them individually in jeopardy, you know, and lend them money that, you know, they can't pay back. Yeah, Absolutely. Mike, having met you so many years ago when you were just starting out in banking, and I didn't know the Tampa four-day stay, <laughs> but having met you, I have, I have uh, enjoyed watching your progress professionally, and of course, you've had 
great progress to my dismay on the golf course while mine was going backwards. But thinking about the progress in your profession I mentioned in the introduction, the LSU School of Banking, I can still remember quite a few years ago when you started attending, but then it has become a spot where you've had a leadership with fellow professional bankers. Tell us about that, please. Yeah, well, Bill, I, um, I, I've been uh, leading and teaching seminars and webinars for the Georgia Bankers Association for a number of years, probably 35 years. Um, I was uh, actually referred to the director of the school at LSU uh, probably 15 years ago. And I started teaching there, and I think this will be my 15th year. And I just I love the school, and I've gotten involved with it and had an opportunity to come on board the executive committee uh, as the incoming president of the school. Uh, that's a six-year commitment, essentially. But, you know, teaching for me is a passion of mine because it's a way for me to give back to the industry uh, and training young bankers and young professionals, you know, in, in various um, various topics and various, various disciplines. But I really enjoy my affiliation with LSU. Well, how, really- how has COVID affected that? Well, it dramatically affected us in 2020, as you might imagine. I mean, we had to end up postponing the session, suspending the session, um, and which was uh, both expensive and disappointing because, you know, we, we enjoy our time there on campus in Baton Rouge, uh, you know, with the students. Uh, we are planning for a session in 2021. It's either going to be in person or virtual or a combination uh, of both. So we're talking, yeah, so we're getting education, we're getting real estate, credit risk. I want to learn more about that, but we got to go to a break. I'm Bo Henderson here with Dr. Bill Lampton, Carl Liva, talking with Mike Allen. Got a real estate question when we come back. Sure. So we're talking about good work with the education, the education, uh, educating young bankers that, that Mike's been doing. And, but before we went to the break, I wanted to ask a, a specific question. And let's get into that now. I'm Bo Henderson here with Dr. Bill Lampton, Carl Libba. We're talking to Mike Allen with Cadence Bank. So just, just to let us, you know, that casual listener that might not have banking in their background, no finance degree, just say, what, what do you mean when you're doing real estate credit risk? What's going on there? Sure. So um, essentially, our calling officers, our salespeople, if you will, they are making contact with customers, uncovering loan opportunities. When they discover a loan opportunity to finance a project, um, that project then details are given to members of my team, financial statements, company, personal financial statements, projections, etc. My, my team takes that information and dissects it and underwrites it. Uh, and it ultimately assesses the risk profile in the request as to if it's a doable deal or it's not a doable deal. So we really are underwriting credit risk. Well, and let's talk about what, talk about the importance of that, right? It might seem like, oh, why don't they just let everything go through? They're, they're, <laughs> they're, not, being, they're not making my job easy. But talk about the importance of having good uh, what a portfolio on the books of these loans. Well, sure. Asset quality is extremely important for all banks. And the performance of the portfolio uh, determines – you know, ultimately, the bank's profitability and a return to its shareholders at the end of the day. And so um, banks are interested in putting quality loans on the books. As the old saying goes, we lend cash and we want to get repaid with cash. Uh, makes Some sense. would say we rent the money, but, you know, it's, right. it's all about the quality of the, of the loan performance. 
So for me, Mike, one of the things I'm always talking about is I run a brand agency. And so one of the questions we're always asking is, uh, I love already the idea and the sound of cadence and establishing a rhythm and how easy and approachable a brand that is to the community. For you working for a company like this for as long as you have, what is it that separates your brand? And what I mean by that is brand is always answering two questions, who we think we are and who the people think we are. And so the people are always asking that question based on the problem that you're solving for them. So what is it that Cadence Bank particularly, what's the problem that you feel that you're solving uniquely that maybe other banks don't solve in perhaps the same way? Well, I, that's a great question. I, I think it's really our people, you know, our banking professionals. Um, a president I worked for early in my career, you know, explained it this way, you know, every bank's money is the same color. Mm. Uh, what differentiates um, banks in the marketplace is the level of service and professionalism with which that service is delivered by its people. Mm. So it really revolves around people and the quality of the people that differentiates and helps us enable or enables us to be more competitive, you know, in the marketplace. I think, Mike, uh, from my vantage point, just as, as an ordinary layman who doesn't have the economic training that you do or other professional bankers do, I would echo what you're saying. To me, the numbers are not what decide for me whether I'm going to be with a particular bank or not. It's how I'm treated when I go there. Yeah, I mean, in our own community here, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of growth in Gainesville Hall County since 1989 when I came here and moved my family here. But um, most all of our listeners out there, I'm sure, have their own personal experience with a bank, and they do business with a person, not a bank, you know, in most cases. So it's a very personal decision, you know, as to where a person or their company chooses to do business. Goes back to relationships, comes up over and over <laughs> exactly. again. Exactly. One of the things I've noted in some banks, and I don't know, Mike, if this is a trend or not, but as our society has grown more informal as far as their appearance is concerned, I've noticed uh, there, there are banks that have gotten in on that, too. There was a time when you were starting out in banking. I'm sure you had a three-piece suit, <laughs> and, and, and that was uh, you probably better have several of them. And the, the coat and tie part may have seemed a little bit stilted to customers, especially as people don't wear coat and tie at a church anymore or many other Event. So even that has been a, a, a change to accommodate the way society is. That's true. Uh, I probably have 12 or 15 of those suits still hanging in my closet, but I don't remember the last time I wore a tie. Um, our client, to your point, our clients are, are much more casual today with their approach to day in and day out being in an office or on a job site. And so, yeah, I think bank, banks and bankers have adopted a more casual approach to uh, interacting and the relationships they have with their clients. It's just people are more comfortable. And 30 years ago, banks were looked upon as very austere institutions. That's not the case now. Correct. 
Agreed. Yeah, speaking of, of that, so my father-in-law who lives in Sandy Springs, I'd never experienced this with the local community bank, but he has a long 20-year relationship. And so uh, I have a five and a seven-year-old. And so even when they were younger, uh, on Saturday, we'd go down to visit Chuck, Daddy, and me. And that's the names for their grandparents. And he would take them to the bank. That was a trip. That was a Saturday morning outing because he needed to go either make a deposit or do something. And he wanted to put a little money in their account. And now the bank account, I mean, it felt like there was chocolate chip cookies and there was like a toy place and they got a free lion. I was like, that is not the bank of my childhood. When I went in with my father to the bank 25 years ago, it was like, you are to be seen and not heard. That's right. Well, let's get back a little bit to those programs. I think that's fascinating, the work you're doing in the education. Anything specific about the programs that you wanted to bring up? Well, the the LSU program, for example, is a three-year program for bankers. and the way it works is you have two weeks on campus and then you have home study problems. You come back the next year for two more weeks on campus, another set of home study problems. And then the final year, your senior year, uh, is two weeks on campus where you the main exercise is you, uh, group, you're grouped together with six or eight folks and you actually run a simulated bank for that wow. week. And it's graded. It's graded by experienced instructors as well as regulatory agency representatives are part of that assessment and grading team as well. And coming through that program, having that on the resume, is that a booster to maybe take a step? Yeah, oh, no, these, yeah, these no question about it. I mean, generally, um, what I like to say about to banks that you know I'm recruiting to send folks to the school is pick your superstar, pick your up and coming and rising superstar that you see as being future leadership of your bank. Send them to this program because they're going to get really, really quality training across all disciplines of the business. And for you, as you're talking to those bankers and future bankers, what would you say are some of the marks of that superstar? So maybe if I'm listening to this and I'm in an industry and I'm wanting to develop the characteristics of a superstar, or I'm trying to grow my next level leadership and it's going, oh, it's this one or that one soft skill. Once I start to really see that, it's going to give me a key indicator that somebody worth investing in. Well, I think the person has to have great interpersonal skills and good listening skills, good communication skills, I'll say. <clears throat> um, you know, and, 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 and they, you know, if you're on the sales front, you got to meet people well, you got to present yourself well, you got to have great communication skills. And, um, you know, those I think are really key. Um, and as, as uh, you progress up the, the corporate ladder, so to speak, uh, having an acumen and an understanding of what makes the bank tick, both from a sales perspective and a backroom operational perspective, and be balanced. And, and what I mean by that essentially is, you know, you have a balance for being an advocate for your client, but at the same time, we're in the risk business. So you need to have an understanding and an appreciation for the risk present in the relationship. All right, I'm going to throw you a curveball, Mike. I've been waiting the whole time for this. So I know you, you've you golfed for a long time. Bill's filled me in. So if you could give... A parallel between success with golf and success in business. Yeah. What you got? Well, no, that's a great question. Um, And I do actually use an analogy oftentimes um, to that question. I think of of credit requests that come before me and my team to underwrite almost as a tee shot. You're standing on the tee, and you take the swing, and the golf ball is going to end up somewhere. It's either going to end up in the knee-deep rough or could end up in the middle of the fairway or somewhere in between. And in order for deals to be bankable, our job is to assess and underwrite that risk. And if it's leaning on the rough, the ball, our job is to move that tee shot back closer to the middle of the fairway. 
and, and make it a more bankable risk profile for the bank. Yeah, I love it. I love the analogies. Always ties it together. We've been talking to Mike Allen with Cadence Bank right off of Jesse Jewel Parkway, guys, right in town. I'm Bo Henderson. You've been here with Dr. Bill Lampton, Carl Libba. Appreciate the conversation. Mike, hope you'll come back and see us before long. Thank you for having me. We'll see you right after the news break. We'll be talking with estate planning attorney Mike Hinton right after this. We are going from talking about a certain kind of risk that Mike shared with us. Now we're going to go to another kind of risk that we can avoid. And we're talking about avoiding probate and all the things we need to do for estate planning. And it's another Mike. We're talking to Mike Hinton. I'm Bo Henderson here with Dr. Bill Lampton and Carl Libba. In our today's show, what I really made it, I started thinking about when did risk become real to me? And it was when I had a daughter. And I know both mm. you guys have daughters and daughter and a son for you, Carl. Yes, sir. Did that give you a different perspective about risk and how things pan out? And- well, again, I think you might have the same experience. I was slow to the risk brain, but my wife was very quick to it. She was attuned. Absolutely. And so one of the first things we did was start assessing our estate and our you know, risk and our liabilities. And she started thinking about what does this look like if, because I tend to travel quite a bit and my wife is joke that I'm on my, my eighth of nine lives um, of some of the risks that I'm taking. So she was very acutely aware. I do notice she's keeping count. She is. She is. She's very meticulous, which makes her great at risk analysis. Bill, what about you? How about daughters? Did it, did it make you think any more about risk? What if something happened to you? Maybe when they were younger, or maybe now. I don't know. Uh, one of the points I would make is that many of us don't think quickly enough or soon enough about that. Mm-hmm. We, we have reasons that we should with our families and with whatever assets we have, but it's always tomorrow. It's always next week. I'll get around to that. You know, one of the things in the retirement planning business, what I see all the time is people say, I know it's important. I know we need to do this. We're going to do this. We should do this. But so often it's a reactive situation to where it's addressed after something's happened. Mm-hmm. But we all need to do it up front when everything's calm and we can think straight and everything's um, st- still in front of us and we're not in this vulnerable situation. So I'm excited to be talking to Mike Hinton, a local probate attorney here right in downtown Gainesville. Mike, welcome to North Georgia Business Radio X. Thank you, Bo. Glad to be here. Right off the bat, one of the things when we're doing the whole the comprehensive retirement plan, we get to estate planning. And I'm glad you're here on the show to dig into this because I do tell people in Georgia, at least as a baseline, we need a couple of documents. We need three that I know of. And I know you can dig into that a little bit for us. Correct. Uh, You can't eliminate all the risk in estate planning, but you can minimize it by making good plans. There's three documents that everyone should have. The first one is a will prepared by an attorney because there's certain legal requirements, um, and that can eliminate a lot of confusion for whoever's in charge of the estate. The next one is a financial power of attorney, which would become durable in case you're ever incapacitated, heaven forbid, through dementia or car accident or anything. Uh, And the last one would be the Georgia Advanced Directive for Healthcare, to where you have a healthcare agent involved who can make healthcare decisions, and it also deals with end-of-life issues as well. So a will, financial power of attorney, and a healthcare directive are more important now during this 
pandemic we're having than anything else. Things we're seeing now. So just to, I think to make it clear for somebody that this isn't what they're doing or that what they deal with a lot is let's give examples of each of those documents. So if we don't have a properly put together, executed will in place, what could happen? What, what's the danger there? Well, the transfer of your assets at death could go to individuals you didn't want to happen or the powers that could be given in a properly executed will with conveying property, eliminating having to file inventories with the probate court. It eliminates a lot of red tape. And without it, without the will, it would be you die intestate. And that means that the law would be the default, um, the probate law and it would go through a certain pecking order where you if you had a surviving spouse it would go to that one or children and it's better if you have uh, second marriages to plan for specific individuals in the will so you're at the mercy i guess of the state of georgia if you don't have a specific plans in place and sorry mike for those of us who have gone through it I know it's a lot less painful than I imagine it would be, like setting up the will and going through that. But for somebody who hasn't done it before and we're trying to educate them and, and bring some value to them, what would you say is the most common misconception about setting up a will? Misconception. Um... And maybe it's just the time involved. So on average, if you were to sit down with a professional like yourself, how much work are they having to do just to walk through the will? They would need to find someone that they would, well, they would need to first find out someone they would trust that they could appoint that could handle their financial matters that have knowledge about what they have and what they don't have. Um, titling of property, that would be another thing. I'd need to know how the property is titled. Um, and then um, any, then it would drop down to um, personal property, uh, automobiles, anything you'd have to transfer that over. Mm -hmm. So it can be... Uh, time-consuming for an individual unless they have a clear-cut plan. And then there's all sorts of professionals that would have to get involved, even if there was a will. I mean, accountants or uh, real estate professionals. Mm -hmm. But like you were saying, Dr. Bill, I think the interesting thing is, having gone through this not too long ago with my wife, having the, uh, the planning portion of it, I was surprised at how many professionals there were that you could be resourced to be helpful with this. And it wasn't this ambiguous, you know, wide thing. It's like, hey, bring us these five to six documents and we'll just get started. Kind of the old analogy of you don't eat an elephant all at one time. You've got to start with one bite, right? Yeah, it can be... Uh overwhelming for someone who hasn't gone through it mm -hmm. i mean first there's the upon death you have of course the death certificate you'd have to present and then um, you'd have to set up a, a banking account for the estate which is like a corporation and then creditors they would have to be notified in case they had any claims and there's time limits that go through the probate court and the probate court clerks they can't give legal advice they can hand you the forms but if you say what do i put there i mean it it's the unauthorized practice of law so they're limited in what they can help you do we're digging into estate planning with mike hinton i'm Bo henderson here with carl Libba and dr bill lampton you're listening to north georgia business radio x so we've been talking some about the will and bill i think you had a question yes uh, one of the things that we haven't brought out yet mike is the the fact that taking care of these items, and I've been through all three of them, and I know that taking care of them can prevent so many family disputes, um, arguments over what grandmother really intended or what mother intended. If you have it in writing, 
there there should be no no room then for saying it was supposed to be this way you're right bill it should be that way (laughs) but a lot of the times it's not because someone will say daddy told me before he died it shall be divided this way Mm -hmm. well daddy has a legally drafted will and it said he wanted it done another way then you have a situation of the estate litigation with the probate a lot of times it's lack of capacity of the individual. That's what somebody argues with an objection or caveat. Or you have two wills. You have uh, one that was done 10 years ago and then one that was done a year ago when uh, grandma didn't quite have capacity. Mm. So then well, you're in court. Yes, even though it's not foolproof, though, it improves your chances. Absolutely. Yes. You have a legal document that speaks beyond the grave. And let's talk to, we talked about, we're digging into the will some. Let's talk about the, those two power of attorneys, too. What what might some of the bad things that happen if we don't get those in place? Well, the bad things that could happen is that the two things go hand in hand. You've got the financial power of attorney that becomes durable, and that deals with mainly getting access to mom's checking account and paying car payments and critically her supplemental health care insurance. I mean, if she's having cancer or something. So the financial power of attorney is critical. It it has limitations. I mean, they can't draft a new will for you in the okay. uh, or transfer certain types of assets. And then... So the financial power of attorney is critical, and then you have the um, Georgia Advanced Director for Healthcare. That goes into what type of healthcare they get if they need assisted living or a nursing home. And then also within, and you have an agent, a healthcare agent, then you have a backup agent. And then with, and in 2017, the Georgia legislature revamped both of the healthcare documents. The Advanced Director for Healthcare included palliative issues, which I usually get out of the way first because okay. that's end of life issues. You know, you have essentially several choices about uh, respirators, life support, or either it's usually let my natural death occur or some variation thereof, hydration, nutrition. So it's very good. So we can, can help us with a lot of things to have these documents properly in place. Exactly. A good plan. I'm Bo Henderson here with Dr. Bill Lampton, Carl Liva. We've been talking to Mike Hinton, estate planning attorney right here in Gainesville, Georgia. And I got a couple more questions when we come back right here on North Georgia's Business Radio X. Taking time now kind of a hard easy let's do a little bit of hard work now to make things easier in the future that's what estate planning is that's what's giving these documents in place it's what it's all about i'm bo henderson here with dr bill Landon and carl liba and estate planning probate attorney mike hinton and mike we, we talked about the three core docs we need and you're telling me there were some challenges and some work you're doing uh with guardianships and conservatorships that we might need to discuss that's correct bo um a lot of times in our family we'll have loved ones who can't make decisions uh, legally usually do with dementia um, so we'll it, the family members in order to place them in a, a either nursing home or assisted living they'll need the authority to do that in a court order through a petition for guardianship which deals with their health care and a petition for conservatorship which deals was with uh, their finances is what you have to go through um, you would have to petition the probate court for the guardianship and conservatorship you would have to 
there'd be an evaluation. They, the courts have their own evaluator, licensed clinical social worker, and they all say, yes, this individual does need a guardianship or conservatorship, or no, they do not. You'll present evidence at court, which courts now with the COVID, um, they're doing a good job, I think, through technology. The hearings are through Zoom, and um, it, it seems to be working out. There's a giant screen, and you have your witnesses and little bitty boxes, and the judge can prompt witnesses, or she can mute them if she likes. So it's um, a process, but once you get those documents, the letters of guardianship and conservatorship, you can present them to banks, you can present them to retirement accounts, and you can get access to help that loved one. Very good. And and there are some challenges now, though. You're saying there's some challenges with what Coven's presented with, especially oh, yeah. some of the, the living facilities. Right. Uh, right now, this is a novel, the uh, COVID-19. In order, in order to go through the legal steps, you first have to serve the individual, even if they don't understand what legal papers you're giving them. Okay. The law requires you have to serve them personally. And many times there's confusion about personal care homes, nursing homes, rehab facilities, allowing court individuals uh, to serve these uh, documents upon the the ward, we'll call them proposed ward. So they all, uh, there's confusion about HIPAA, which that word's thrown out a lot. But HIPAA, there are like seven different exceptions to HIPAA. One is a court order. One is emergency circumstances. But the administrators at these facilities, they... Uh, don't understand. I've even had to get law enforcement to show up to serve them the papers. And they, oh, say, wow. they say, no, you can't come in here. So what do you do? So there's some creative solutions. You could appoint an administrator as a special process server and do it that way. Or recently, I, the, I met the family for a family visit. And I'm, you know, cousin Mike, and I'll give them the paperwork. <laughs> and that's service. So you have to be creative there. Yeah. Wow. So for you in this last season, obviously COVID has, has changed almost everything. And I think you were talking about the technology improvement and then also this obviously HIPAA related service. Are there things going forward? Because I think our world is probably forever changed, right? Mm -hmm. That people may not yet be thinking about, hey, as you're thinking about your estate planning, as you're thinking about this for both yourself and for other people, here's some things that now have changed maybe for the better kind of going forward and actually helping that Space. Oh, yes. Oh, great. And this is like uh, <laughs> personal. This hits yeah. really close to home. I mean, my mother's in the hospital now. She's got oh, some issues. And I the only way I can get access to her is calling the uh, nurse's station, and they'll give me a recent update. Uh, I'm listed as the emergency contact, but I hate to say it, being a state planning attorney, she never got these documents, even though I tried to get her to get these documents. Mm. So that would list me and somebody else as a backup. So, And you can't go into hospital. She's in Augusta. You can't get access uh, to the hospital there. I think here you could have one person go in, but um, you're in the dark. And having these documents gives you some peace of mind knowing that they will call you, the medical professionals, to get your input. Mm. And you can get different specialists. So it's critical now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Bill? Well, one of the things, have we really talked about probate enough, what that means? 
All right. We can talk about that all you want to, because that's what I that, do all day. That's your deal. Well, you know, a question I had, Mike, is say we're there. Say say the, we, the preventative stuff maybe wasn't done and we're dealing with probate. Is that something I could come call, call you, Mike, and say, hey, this sounds scary and daunting. Can you help me through this process now that we're going to have to do this? Absolutely. I haven't seen it all, but I've seen a good bit. <laughs> um, the first thing I say is, um, you know, I, they're going through a tragedy, so I give my condolences and understand that it's going to be stressful. And the first thing they'll need would be the death certificate. And once they have the death certificate, then they come to me and I'll um, ask what the individual had in terms of real property. And then one of the issues I'm dealing with now a lot is ownership of property between a husband and wife. Mm-hmm. It could be if it has survivorship. I'm good. If it just says joint tenants are in one person's name, then I have to go through the issue of doing some real property law as well, deeds that you transfer. So then I would uh, look at the property, see what kind of difficulties I want to have there. Then tell the individual there's a process. Six months, you have to uh, keep the estate open. You'll have to open an estate account. Then notice to debtors and creditors. If there's any heirs, um, there could be heirs that they haven't seen that they have a right to object. And I've had them in uh, Texas and uh, Vietnam <laughs> recently. When, well, it makes it complicated. Yeah. So, And then once you've done everything that the probate court requires, then you'll uh, – and as far as transferring real property, I say wait until the very end of the six months because if there's any claims placed on the property, you want that done closer to the end. So you can tell the court – Yes, I've done everything I was mm-hmm. supposed to do. Let me be discharged. Let me disperse the money and the individual who passed away. Their wishes will be carried out. I've got to, as, as we're going through this, I mean, this isn't, you're having to be an expert in real estate law. I mean, it's, this is some depth to, to all the, everything you handle uncovers another thing and another thing, yeah. especially when Deeply you get complex. Into, to some of these um, family matters and the real estate and the, and the way things are titled. Uh, so somebody out there listening, uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, I don't know if this was a first career or what, what made Mike say, you know what? I want to do probate. I want to do a state law. Oh, okay. Um, he lost a bet. I feel like that's where right. the story's going. <laughs> I figured you were going to ask me something like this. Yeah. Um, I went, I got a degree in finance. Uh-huh. I wasn't good with, um, math even though i was in finance right. worked in banking for about eight or ten years credit i saw that, that you did yeah yep. and then banks were getting gobbled up left and right smaller ones were getting taken over so i wanted to have some more control over what i did right. so i um saw elderly people having difficulty figuring things out mm. in banks mom would put stuff in oh, the mailbox yeah. so then i decided one to have more control over my employment and in the law you can pretty much reinvent yourself depending on what the economy does um and as far as helping the elderly people it seems that's a segment of society that was um had fallen through the cracks no that's that's a good story when we look for background story sometimes it's just ah, it randomly happened but you saw a need yeah you saw a group that needed some help and then you saw okay i can do this independently hmm. of, of so, so i love that story uh how long you been been working on on this specifically uh, about eight years. Okay. I was going to say, yeah, I know you've been doing it a while. Um, when it comes to the listener out there and, and 
okay, I at least need to get my basic documents in place, Mike. I hear what you're saying. I know it needs to be done. When I hear that come up, and, and this might not surprise you, I bet it won't. I probably sit down with 200 households a year, and I would say 90% of the time, either those estate planning documents aren't there or they're outdated. It, it's it's the, the rule, not the exception. Hmm. So for the person, but everybody says, I know it needs to be done, right? So for the person out there listening, do you do you package, say, okay, I'll get you your, your three basic documents taken care of in kind of a package. I know it, it depends on the, the complexity on the charge and things, but you kind of say, hey, let's come in, let's get your whole package taken care of and get you get you where you need to be. I do, Bo. It's okay. called the bundle. The bundle. I like it. It's, even, it's got yeah. a trademark. Yeah, you can get the, I said, Will will do it a la carte and have a specific price for that right or you could get everything together since i have all the documents and you know i'll do it for this price good i like that that's what i like to be able to refer and say hey get your bundle yeah and at least we know our bases are covered so mike thanks so much for the work you do very important work yes. i see it firsthand from from where i sit uh somebody says i need the bundle right? right how do they get in touch with you i know you're downtown gainesville but website phone what do you yeah think? i have a website mike hinton law um i'm right off the square near atlas pizza you know that oh, the one. best the yeah best. i'm within a five minute walk to the probate court so check out my website and um give me a call all right guys this is something we all need to take care of carl will come see you just to go to atlas I that's right i will i'll be over there all right so we've learned a lot thanks so much for coming on the show mike thanks for having me it's been a good one i'm bo henderson bill lampton carl libba here on north georgia business radio x see you next week you've been listening to north georgia business radio x with bo henderson what local business do you know that should be highlighted on our program let us know Just search North Georgia Business Radio X on Facebook or contact Bo at businessradiox.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And remember to support our local businesses.